Hey, thank you so much for joining us online at Venue Church for another inspirational message from Pastor Corey Cope. If you were impacted by this message in any way, we would love it if you would share it with your friends online. Yeah, real boats rock. <laughs> There's a line in that song. This gospel truth of old shall not kneel, it shall not faint. When I hear that line in the song, there's something about it that just kind of catches in my throat. This gospel truth of old shall not kneel, it shall not faint. I'm going to preach a little bit today about the psychology behind why Christ came. Unlimited power, and yet he's got to get that power in you somehow. And this gospel truth of old, it shall not kneel, it shall not faint. It shall not kneel, it shall not faint. There's something unchangeable about the gospel. I was having lunch with a, kind of a Christian, or, sorry, a business guy in the city who is definitely not a Christian. Maybe you're here today. What's up? It's always an interesting question, like, what do you do for a living? I'm a pastor of a church. And you can tell immediately where they're at. <laughs> like, oh, that's nice. We got it talking a little bit about his, his story, but there is something, he's, he's like, well, what's your church like? And I'm like, I don't know if you'd have a template for it, really, with your background. And he said something, he said, you know, it's like, maybe the, the church that he grew up in, maybe it didn't, it didn't, he said it changed the message, it didn't change the message when it should. And I kind of jumped in there a little bit, I'm like, no, 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 it's not the message that changed. This gospel truth of old, it shall not kneel, it shall not faint. It was never the gospel message that needed to change. It was the way that we presented it. Because the need in a human heart, your need has not been different than it was 20 generations ago. It's not the gospel that ever needed to change. It shall not kneel, it shall not faint. There was something in there, though, that I realized, and what gets me choked up about this, is that we, if you are in the family of God, it's you and I that need to change. Because the gospel should not kneel and it should not faint, though you might have to kneel and you might have to faint to do what God has asked you to do in this lifetime. Let not the gospel kneel and let not the gospel faint, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everybody who believes. It can save you from any sin. It can save you from any addiction. It can redeem your life from every destruction. It can buy you an eternity that you don't have and your neighbor and your family and your friends. But let it not kneel and let it not faint. Thanks, Sean. Can you give our dream team a hand for setting everything up here today? We're kind of getting used to the new space, so we turn the stage on you. I like it, because I... Does that? You like it? Look at I get to like be right out here with you. I like it. Welcome to a series, and I'm starting right now, called Because He Came. Because He Came. What changed because Jesus came? While my notes load. Do you guys feel like you're... I said people are going to come in and it's a different space than what we're used to. I'm like, they're going to be a little insecure because we're Canadian. And we're like, oh, I don't know where to sit. And I don't know who's going to sit with me. And I don't know. And it's like going to school for your first day. Anybody feel like that? Going to school and like, oh, somebody should give me a name tag. Because like, I don't know the names of some of these people. And I come in and now I got to meet some of them. And it's going to be really <laughs> good today. Because he came, I've entitled this sermon, The Right Side of Control. The Right Side of Control. I don't know about you, but by the time I was like really little, like two or three, I started getting this sense that um, 
of the, the finite. Do we know what that word means? Of limitations, of a limited capacity, this finiteness. Um, for me, it was, it was this, like, I have a, a finite amount when I was three years old of patience. A finite amount of something in me. A finite, like I could put up with this much, but I can't put up with that much. Anybody know what I'm feeling? A finite amount, a limited capacity, something that is going to begin in me, but there's also an ending in me. There's this, there's this gas tank that's only this big, and it's not bigger. And I can forgive up to a certain point, but if I had to experience that or you did that to me, then then I couldn't forgive. If, if I had to deal with more of my boss acting the way that she acts, I won't be able to manage it. I won't be able to deal with it. If I have to go to school and experience junior high kids for one more day. No, we got any students in here? If I have to, if I have to, there's this beginning and there's this ending. There's this finiteness in me. There's this place where I'm going to stop, where I'm not going to be able to go all the way. There's this something, and I think that what happens is, is, is everybody when they're young thinks that they're invincible. And when I was 18, I thought there was invincible. I thought that there wasn't enough pain to buy me. I thought that you couldn't break me. I thought that you, anybody else, come on, it's okay. Interact with me a little bit. But there's something you'll find in life that is that is perfectly designed to get you to your threshold, to your breaking point, to something that runs you into a wall where you stub your toe and you're like, whoa, this thing is not moving. And this thing is actually a capacity inside of me. I was walking um, beside my bed the other day and I realized as I stub my toe on something under the bed that Pastor Aaron is, is now using that as a storage space under there. <laughs> and I ran in and I ran my toe into something that was like, not moving, it was not yielding, and it was not fainting. <laughs> and I jammed my toe in there, and now me being me, I thought, I'll get that out of there, because I want to be able to put my toes right there. So I kicked it, and it still did not kneel, and it still did not faint. And I ran into this thing that was unyielding. Your life is full of circumstances and situations and scenarios that are perfectly designed to break you. Now, it's funny. What we get frustrated about is we're like, well, it, the same thing happened to my brother, but it didn't land on him in that place, and it didn't hurt him as much. It didn't hurt my wife as much as it hurts me. I don't know why this is such a big deal in my life. I just can't seem to get over. I can't seem to get past this thing. It's perfectly designed to bring you up to this thing called a wall a threshold of, and I'm going to call it today, a threshold of control, a threshold of scary, this threshold that you finally realize that you don't have enough to get past it and beyond it in and of yourself. Um, I think it's in the message translation, uh, the, the paraphrase, the message Bible, where, where I think it was Eugene Peterson translated it this way. He was saying, um, I think I just totally lost that thought. Moving on. This, this, this specially designed wall to break my mind in this new place. I, I'm very like texture person, so I got to get a feel for it. So help me get a feel for it. All right. Thank you. Now, I think for guys, I think for us, a lot of the times that we get broken in, in our careers, 
So, so I remember when I was 18 years old, I went straight into the trades out of high school, and I'd been working since I was 14. It's a, it was a thing. One generation ago, guys, it was a thing where you earned a living, where you, if you wanted to buy those shoes, you went and worked for them and bought them yourself. And mom and dad would give you a little bit, but they wouldn't give you the Air Jordans that you wanted, and if you wanted it, you'd have to work for it, everybody. <sighs> Shocking. But when I was right out of high school, I went right into the trades, and that was my life for a while. And I remember being 18 years old in my first, like, not my first real job, but my first real job that I realized one month in, I could be doing this same thing every day, forever, until I died doing this. I was a tinning, uh, putting tin on a Quonset or something out at a farm, and I'm like, every day until I die, I could be doing this. And I went into this depression for like a month of like, oh my goodness, this, this thing as I moved more into my career in the electrical uh, industry and I moved more, there were so many days that were designed to break me. They were just perfectly designed. The people that I would have to answer to or work with, there were just like, God, why did you put me with these people? And God's like, why did I give you to your mother? Because I perfectly designed something to break her. How many girls have kids here? All right, now let's talk about kids because that's often where it happens for, for you. First of, all, first of all, if you only got one kid or two kids and like, look, if you're a single parent, I don't even know how you get out of bed in the morning. God bless you. I hope you belong to a church family, but you guys work so hard and then you come home. And life was perfectly designed to break you. But if you only have one kid to one parent or, or two kids to two parents, if you're lucky enough to have two, and then you go to the grocery store and you see mom who's got four kids and their kids are running a little wild or somebody's throwing a fit and you're like, she's not a good mom. You shut your faces. <laughs> Pastor Aaron will come down here and lay some hurt on you. You don't even know what it's like to go to zone defense with kids. Everybody, it's not man to man, man. You got too many kids. And my kids figured out a long time ago, they're like, they, they know that mom and dad can't remember who we asked to do what job anymore. And then they just sit there. Hey, who didn't put these dishes away? And then they just sit there and they just watch TV and just don't make eye contact with mom. Don't make eye contact with Pastor Aaron, man. Just like. then we have to get equally mad at everybody, but we're a little guilty because we can't remember who was asked to do what, and we're not really sure ourselves, and so you can only give a kid a heck so much for, like, I'm 30% sure that I asked you to do that, and I was talking to somebody the other day who's got, like, over 10 kids, like, adopted kids, and I'm like, I don't even know how you do it, and he's like, it's more of, like, a jail system. <laughs> it's more of, like, a, you pulled a jackknife on your brother? Are you crazy? You can't knife your brother. You can't threaten to knife your brother in this home. In spite of what TV shows you. There's this thing that will be perfectly designed to break you. Perfectly designed to do it. If you come and follow uh, Christ, you'll find it even more so. And you're like, well, I thought he was supposed to make me happy. No. That's not why Jesus came to make you happy. He came to save you. In the end, you'll be happy. But doing spiritual push-ups is not fun. If you enjoy physical exercise, don't come to this church. I, don't know, I do it, but I don't like love it. I know, I'm talking to you right now. Turn his guitar down later. 
I enjoy the results of it, but I don't enjoy it. But there's this thing that is perfectly designed to break you. There's this finiteness about you. There's this sense that you have from the time that you're small. I'm going to talk today about why Jesus had to come psychologically. Now, if you're like a book person, it may or may not make sense to you, but I'm like a feet on the floor sort of industry person. I'm going to show you how it affects your life today. Okay, the psychology in the human race of why Jesus had to come, why Jesus came. I'm going to set you up for Christmas messages coming next week and then Christmas Eve, 3 and 5 p.m., Come on, we only have one more week of service starting at 10.30, and then we have two services, 9.30 and 11. And so it's going to be incredible, and you need to get on a dream team because we're going to need your help to pull it off, and it's going to be incredible. But there's, you come to Christ, and there's this thing like, I want to save you, but I also want to save everybody sitting beside you too. And then you'll realize, then he starts saying awkward things like, um, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Well, cross. That wasn't part of the deal. He's like, it was part of my deal. If you want the resurrection, you got to get the cross. Well, what does that look like, Pastor? Well, life is perfectly designed to break you. There's something about it that even God will be behind in orchestrating things. It's not like he's doing the bad things to you, but he's orchestrating them for your good. He, he thinks thoughts of good towards you to give you a future and a hope, but part of the journey to the future and the hope is a hard path and a hard road and things that hurt and things that are designed to break you. This Finiteness. What happens is we come up to this threshold of scary, to this threshold of control. Now, your marriage might be leading you there right now. Your, your child raising might be leading you there right now if you're lucky enough to have kids. If you're lucky enough to, if you don't have kids, you really want to have kids. And if you have kids, you want to send them back. <laughs> if you don't have kids, you know what a really good thing to do is help somebody who's got kids because they need help. Um, my wife one time, I remember it was in the 10 year, the last 10 year dec, you know, the decade when we had, we have four girls and they were all like little in, at some point in some stage along. So that was like the 10 years of like, Pastor Aaron, like, don't touch me right now. This is your fault. Don't touch me. Just, I'll. have you ever been there moms when you're like 10 minutes of sleep and I would not be a crazy person anymore. Just 10 minutes of sleep. That's all I need, Jesus. I just need 10 minutes of sleep. You've thought about like duct taping your kids in the basement to get 10 minutes of sleep, but it's illegal. Don't do it. There's something that's designed to break you. And what happens is we run up against this thing, this threshold of control. It's a wall that you try to climb up and over. And the older you get, you realize this wall is higher than I'm able to go. And what happens is we bump up against this threshold of scary, this threshold of control, and, and we don't go over it the way that God wants you to. And I'm going to show you how he did it today and show you why Jesus came psychologically so you could realize how he's going to get you through it and how you're going to start getting through it today. You ready? Because God is a God of the impossible. He actually designed the wall. What happens is we get so scared of the wall because we run into it. And then I'm going to move the wall to over here. We run into it. And then this is what we do. We try to scale it, but then we fall on the wrong side of control. And let me show you what we do. We, we take a left here. We fall off of the wall a few times because it's designed to make you fall off of it. It has to be greater than you are. It has to be greater than your capacity. It has to be greater than how much suffering you can handle. It has to be greater than your patience level. It has to be greater than your ability to forgive. We run into it, and then we turn left. And this, this is what happens here. You have a nervous breakdown. You have a, something that happens that breaks you. And then you turn left. And then you start saying no. 
over here. So like, I can't do this. I need to set up a boundary, which sounds good, and you need to. I'm going to start saying no, and then you say no, and then you turn left, and then you say no again, and I, I'm not going to involve my kids in this, which is good. They shouldn't be involved in everything, and then I'm going to say no, and I can't do this for my boss, and I can't do this for my husband, and I can't do this, and I can't do this, and you start saying no, and start saying no, and start saying no, because it's the only way to regain control. And boundaries are good, and you need to make healthy boundaries, but the whole idea of this, it has to break you free of your self-sufficiency. Canadian society is like, hey, fix yourself. You can find the answers in yourself, and God's like, self-help is no self, is no help at all, and that's the thing that I came back to because the Holy Spirit brought it back to me because somebody's amening me. That was how it was translated. Self-help is no help at all. We need the help of heaven to get over these things. But we start turning left and we start trying to regain control. And then we don't do anything that we can't control. But then you have a child. And then what? Then you get in a relationship. Then what? I thought that getting married was going to be like moving in with my buddy from high school. It was not. (laughs) You hungry? Mm -hmm. You want to watch football? Mm Mm-hmm. That's what I thought. Oh, you single people, you think you're so smart. And it starts breaking you, and it starts breaking you, and it starts breaking you, and you spend the rest of your life trying to not feel that thing that you felt. You spend the rest of your life avoiding that thing that's right up here, and it's hard, and you know that you should be going over it, but you can't do it in and of yourself. And then you... You come to church one day, and you sing a song, and there's the Spirit of God that's in you, and you get a glimpse into over the wall. You get a glimpse of the infinite. Have you ever met somebody who is truly fearless in Christ? You get a glimpse of something that's this other life where there's no boundary, where there's no, I can't do it, where there's no, I don't need to say no, I can say yes, and somehow it will work out. And somehow, if God asked me to do it, I could. But this wall tells you that you can't. But God will never ask you something he doesn't give you the grace for. You get a glimpse into the infinite. And that's why Jesus had to come. He had to come not because mankind needed to see the infinite. We had seen the infinite. He had sent his law and his prophets, and we had seen in there. But what we couldn't do is we couldn't bridge the gap. Because we didn't know how to climb over that wall. Because what we did was we bumped up to it. Then we tried to get over the wall with good deeds and righteousness and following the rules. Look, rules don't make relationships. That's not how they work. You know how family works? Somebody adopts you into one or you're born into one. That's the only way to get into a family. Not following a certain set of rules. Hey, you follow the same set of rules as this family does? Well, then you get to be part of that family. Just go on over there because you do the same things as they do. And then the, these guys have more kids than they already got too many kids. And then what? They do. They're clapping, see? If you're sitting there all, you've got one kid, and you're all like, oh, they don't love their children. Shut your faces. You don't know. We've all secretly thought of sending our kids to some other family and be like, what? Oh, no, they're not here anymore. Oh, my goodness. I can sleep again. It's okay. God will bring more children. We had seen over the wall, but we couldn't get over the wall because we kept trying to do it in our own strength. The whole point of the wall was that you can't do it in your own strength, and you have to come to the realization that you can't. And then you get a glimpse into somebody who's following Christ, or you get a glimpse into what Christ did, and then sooner or later you start 
Because your life starts circling left and starts circling left, and I saw church people do this all the time, and start circling left, and then what happens is because the real God is over here, and he's scary because he's going to ask you to do something that hurts, and we see the real God over here, and we're like, no, but you wouldn't do that because it'll hurt me, and you wouldn't do that because it's too much for me, and you wouldn't, and you wouldn't, and God's like, can you stop telling me what I wouldn't do? But what we do is we turn left here, and then we start making a finite God that reminds us of this one. But he's finite. Now he's got borders and he's got limitations and he can't. And he can't quite. And he wouldn't. And all of a sudden he starts agreeing with you. And all of a sudden he starts thinking like you and feeling like you. But you feel limited and you feel scared. And this thing scares you to death and it doesn't scare him to death. In fact, it's the path. And we start turning left and we create a God that's not this God anymore. And we start serving this God, and you'll come to church and go so far. You'll, in your marriage, you'll go so far because you still can. And you'll say things like, I can't go past this because it would make me unhealthy. And God's like, uh, it's an all-in sort of thing to raise kids. I'll go this far, but I won't go that far because I can't do it. And God's like, good, I can you need to get over the wall in this way. And I'm going to show you when Jesus came, what he did, he showed you how to get over the wall. Because this finite God here, eventually what you'll start feeling, and inside your soul, you'll start feeling this. You'll get this sense of, of people don't know how I feel. They don't know how hard it is. If the devil can isolate you, he's got you. They don't know how much I hurt. They don't know how much my dad hurt me. They don't know how much that person hurt me. They don't know how tired I am. They don't know how impossible this is. They don't know I can't forgive anymore. They don't know. They don't know. They don't know. And then one day you'll say, and you, God, don't know either. Because you're infinite. Because you don't know how afraid I am, God. Because you're not afraid. You don't know how much this hurts because nobody can hurt you. Let me show you what the real God is like. This. Have you ever considered this here? Maybe, maybe God knows your pain and suffering far more than you possibly could. Listen. Because you're finite. You can only feel so much. There's this place where Jesus hangs on a cross and they offer him a mixture of drugs to dull his senses and he won't take it. Well, we take all sorts of drugs. Netflix, pizza, actual drugs. <laughs> ha, 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 ha. Somebody's laughing awkwardly over here. I'll pray for you in the care corner after. Have you considered this? You, your limited capacity, you can only feel so much pain and suffering. You can only feel so much betrayal before you don't anymore. Before you go someplace else and you create this other thing where you don't feel it anymore. Because you can't. You blink. You just go someplace else or you get angry. Anybody who's on the angry side of that, it's easier to get angry than it is to suffer and to feel hurt and to feel sad. It's just easier to get angry for some of us. And what we do is we start thinking in our hearts, God doesn't know how I feel because he never feels like this. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. He knows how you feel more than you ever could. Why? Why? He has, have you ever considered this? An infinite ability to suffer. No limits. 
if I turn the tap of suffering on in my life, it's, it's got a, a half-inch water line going out to outside, and I open the tap up, and so much water comes out. But it wouldn't come out forever. And it wouldn't be an endless volume like the sea of suffering that Christ himself feels because he's infinite and he's eternal and he has no boundaries on suffering or pain or betrayal. There is no boundary whatsoever. It's an ocean that never ends in him. And we look to God and in our finiteness, we start judging God and say, you don't know what you're asking of me. And he's like, no, you don't know what you asked of me. And the only way to get over this wall is to tap into his infiniteness and start feeling what it is that he must be feeling. How is it that Jesus comes down and he suffers and hangs on a cross and dies for you? And then you feel sorry for yourself because of what is asked of you. Well, you were born into a broken system. Death and suffering is part of it. And what Jesus did was he came down because it was dark. When As soon as you turn left here, it's dark on this side of the wall. Your eyes just adjust to it, and you actually get, you ready? Comfortable. It says that light came into the world, but men, they hid themselves from the light because their deeds were evil, because there was things in themselves that weren't right. And so we, we fall on the wrong side of this, and then we try to control, but our eyes get accustomed to this. But every now and again, we get a glimpse over the wall, like somebody's getting a glimpse right now. And we get a glimpse over the wall, and then what happens is... We're like, we can't get over there, and we're scared, and then we go back. But Jesus, imagine this, an eternal, infinite God. He comes down, lays down eternity, lays down infiniteness, and, and picks up the most finite body you could, a baby that gets put in a manger by a bunch of animals. He lays down eternity to pick up your humanity more than you ever picked it up. He embraced it more than you ever could. He embraces the powerlessness of this child. It says, in all ways he was tempted as we were, yet without sin. He was not tapped into the eternal except for he showed you how to do it. He was no longer of the infinite, no longer of the, he was, he was, he was born into a finite capacity so that he could suffer and redeem you from that suffering. And he showed us how to do this. This is, is this scripture that I'm going to read was uh, from Isaiah the prophet, some 700 years before Christ came. And I'm going to, I think it really sets the tone for Christmas time. It says, nevertheless, and then my notes all, nevertheless, that time in Isaiah chapter 9, that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. And he's saying, venue church, it's not going to go on forever. The sense of this loss and this suffering. No, no, no. It's time to get back up to the wall of scary, to the threshold of scary, and fall on the right side of it. It will not go on forever. We need to turn back to that very thing that terrifies us. We need to turn back to us because if you still have this wall here and you're on the wrong side of it, the devil can always put a gun to your head. He can always make you do what you are so tired of doing because you're scared and you're making scared decisions. Nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. The land of Zebulun and Naphtali will be humbled, but there will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road that runs between Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. Verse 4, for you will break the yoke of their slavery. 
As soon as you enter into a life controlled by you, you become a slave to yourself. You become a slave to ultimately to what the devil wants to do in your life. You become a slave. He will break the yoke of their slavery and lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. You will break the oppressor's rod just as you did when you destroyed the army of Midian. Midian, for a child is born to us. A son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its, and its peace will never end. What do you mean peace? There's no peace on this earth. He's like, no, no, no. It's because it's the wrong kind of peace because the peace to you means peace that I control, means no surprises, means my boss isn't going to, my, my, my husband's not going to betray me, means my kids aren't going to act out, which means... I'm going to have enough money, which means I'm going to... No, no, that's peace to you. There is another peace. There is another government. The government of his peace. There's, once you get over the wall, you'll find that it's not your circumstance. Your circumstances cannot break you anymore. Somebody from outside of you cannot come and break you anymore because they don't own you, because you're not here anymore. You're on the other side of that. And you tap into this infinite ability to forgive. It's good, I'm getting all lost in the sauce here. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule, and that's the problem. As soon as you turn and fall on the wrong side of control, you rule, and you're not made for it. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all of eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen. There's this thing that will help you get over the wall today in some area of your life. It's scary, though. I get it. For us, it was in our our marriage and in our family. That was the wall for me. I don't think that work could have broken me. I don't think anything could have like that. And for us, we, we ran into this wall on and off for a period of like 20 years, everybody. Now, just imagine a scenario where things just kind of started getting bad and then started getting much worse, and every day just seemed to exponentially get kind of worse. But not over a period of like a day or two or a week or two, but how about like maybe like months and years. And so we, you know, Pastor Aaron and I, we got up to this wall, and then God's like, and plant a church in Airdrie. (laughs) We're like, maybe you haven't been watching, but we can't do this right now. We bump into this wall. And then he's like, I need to show you how Jesus got over that wall. This is what he did. He, there's two things. There's the proof of obedience and there's the proof of outcome. You ready? When you turn left and try to control it, you're trying to control the outcome. No, no. I'll say yes to what I feel. No. Outcome, outcome, outcome. God, I'll obey you if I. God, I'll give more if I. God, I'll do this if I. If you make sense. If I get what I need, what I think I need, but not what I really need, just what I maybe. And the outcome, and I try to control the outcome, and I try to control the outcome, and I'll try to control the outcome. And Jesus just came down, and he's like, the outcome is up to God. The obedience is up to me. God's like, I need you to hang on a cross and die and be tortured. Okay. 
The obedience is up to me. The outcome is up to you. If there's a resurrection, so be it. The outcome is up to you. But the cross, that's up to me. The proof of obedience versus the proof of, and this is where the control comes in and the struggle comes in. You're trying to control the outcome. What if you never had to worry about the outcome of anything ever again? How much time do you spend struggling and getting angry at your spouse and angry at your kids because you're not getting the outcome you want from them? But what if all you had to do was obey what Christ wanted you to do in that moment? You read your Bible in the morning and actually do what it says. And then whether your marriage makes it or it doesn't, whether your kid turns out good or doesn't turn out good, whether your child embarrasses you in the store, whether or not your finances turn out the way that you want them to, the obedience is your part and the outcome is his and you don't worry about it anymore like a child of God ought to do. The proof of obedience versus the proof of outcome. Come on up, worship team. I'm going to show you a little trick in this here because as we move to two services in a couple of weeks, You've heard me say this, that I want you to serve one service and sit one service. First of all, I just want you to get out of your head like, hi, I just go to church and sit here. We love serving you, and we love serving the city, but you need to get involved. Right? Serve one, sit one. So come for the same time if you've been setting up on Sundays, but like serve one service and sit one service. There's this beauty about what happens, because our services are like 60 minutes long, There's this beauty about what happens here that you have to understand that your obedience will have these two parts attached to them, serving and sitting. Now, for the very few people that serve too much, sometimes we serve too much because we get a lot of our value from that. Well, if any, we try to be like, hey, like we love what you do, but that's not why we loved you before you even got here and did all of this for you. And so... No, you're valuable because you're part of God's family or you could be part of God's family. We just love people, right? And so we invest in people and that's what we do. But there's some of you who serve and it's easier to serve than it is to be served. There's this thing that, that if, you, if you serve too much, you start thinking that maybe you do more for your church or maybe you do for more for your family than it does for you. That's a dangerous place to get to. You do more for your church than it does for you than the body of Christ does for you. Maybe you do more for God than God does for you. No, no, this is not. Okay. If you sit too much, you'll start thinking that all of this is about you. Because we're serving you and we're doing this for you and we're paying the bill and we're, thank you everybody for for donating to the cost of the expenditure. You'll see it next week. Like 17, 18 grand has come in just to cover the cost of what we're doing here above and beyond your giving. Like, thank you so much. You guys are so generous. I just love you so much. Serve one, sit one. See, Jesus came down and served one. He served one. You're not just handing somebody a cup of coffee and smiling. You're handing them a cup of coffee and smiling in Christ and saying, I love you, man. Drink this coffee. It's really good coffee. I just want you to partake of the spirit of God and the joy in my heart. Hey, let your troubles go away. God's got it. And when you serve someone, you let them sit one. And there's something that you need, and this is what Jesus showed us. You need, you need to be able to sit in a service and worship and hear the word of God without working. Because your work needs to be in your worship. You sit and you worship. When you serve, you also worship. But you need to sit and receive of the corporate anointing because you'll get a corporate courage that you need. 
You'll get a courage because you're sitting beside other people who also want to do the impossible now. There's this corporate thing, this magic that happens that we worship God together and he does more, exponentially more than he can do individually. But when you serve, what you do is you're, you're giving, you're, 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 you're gaining, you're, you're being part of that corporate thing. But also there's this other side of things too that you need personal courage. And you don't get personal, because there's only grace to obey. And God's like, hey, serve your brother and sister. Hey, serve. Come and don't do church for you anymore. And when you do it for somebody else, you serve them. And God starts giving you personally courage. And you start seeing the brokenness of other people and being like, my life's not that bad after all. And there's this personal courage that comes and this corporate courage. And if you miss one of them, what will happen is at some point you'll fall off of the wrong side of control. And your life will get small and dark, but when you can finally stand on that threshold like God wants you to stand on and jump off on the right side, you will pass through a cloud that is so dark. It will be so hard to see, but when you fall on the right side of it and your life becomes more about Christ than it becomes about you, then all of a sudden you fall into this like, it's like the sun coming up through the clouds and it just breaks out in in complete light and you'll realize oh my goodness this was available to me the whole time but the only way to do it is to serve one and sit one and it's like this serve one sit one have you ever seen somebody like climbing a mountain and it's like having those ice picks or something it's like serve one and I sit one and I serve one and I sit one and I serve one and I sit one and the courage you get every step of the way that gets you there finally will get you to that top of that wall and this Christmas I want you to fall on the right side of control proof of obedience leave obedience up to you and leave the outcome up to God. Hey, we hope you enjoyed this inspirational message from Pastor Corey Cope. If you'd like to partner with us, please go to venuechurch.ca slash give. Yeah, because a life saved is worth everything.